Welcome to the Bible Preaching and Teaching Ministry of Dr. Douglas D. Stauffer. Dr. Stauffer currently serves as President of Key of Knowledge Ministries. He has thousands of hours teaching experience, 10 years serving in pastoral ministries, and has authored several books. One of Dr. Stauffer's most recent projects included his participation as consulting editor for Oxford University Press. He has also been the featured speaker on national and international radio broadcasts dozens of times. If you are interested in these or similar materials, you can contact us at www.mccowanmills.com. Turn your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 4 and 1 Chronicles chapter 5. We'll go to 1 Chronicles chapter 5. We're getting ready to leave in the morning. Three vans, 29 young people, and three drivers. I'm preaching tonight on faith. And uh, <laughs> we better come back with 29. We're leaving with 32. Better come back with 32, right? We're leaving with 32 young people. I'm going to be preaching tonight on faith. First Chronicles chapter 5, at the end of the verse 20, it says, And he was entreated of them because they put their trust in him. He was entreated of them because they put their trust in him. Look at 2 Kings chapter 4. Tonight I'm going to preach on a certain woman's prayer her personal faith, her perfect obedience, and her plentiful blessing. The four P's. I don't usually come up with something like that, but after preaching the message once or twice, I've been able to figure out a way to make them all come out with the same letter. I always liked it when Dr. Noe did that. Prayer, personal faith, perfect obedience, and plentiful blessing. First of all, to start off, let's just read verses 1 through 7. Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant my husband is dead, and thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord. And the creditors come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. And Elisha said unto her, What shall I do for thee? Tell me, what hast thou in the house? And she said, Thine handmaid hath not anything in the house save a pot of oil. Then he said, Go, borrow thee vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, even empty vessels, borrow not a few. And when thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons, and shalt pour out into all those vessels, and thou shalt set aside that which is full. So she went from him and shut the door upon her and upon her sons, who brought the vessels to her, and she poured out. And it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said unto her son, bring me yet a vessel. And he said unto her, there is not a vessel more and the oil stayed. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay thy debt and live thou and thy children of the rest. Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for your son who died for our sins. Thank You for sending Your Word that we may know how to live. Thank You for sending Your Word that we may, uh, Lord, gather and gain faith by looking into it. Lord, I pray for my lack of faith. I pray that You would strengthen it. Show me, 
my need to have increased faith to be a blessing and to be right with Thee. Lord, I pray that You'll take the message, use it to Thy honor and Thy glory. In Jesus' name, Amen. Just like there was a certain rich man in Luke 16, the Bible says there's a certain woman that cried unto God, unto Elisha. It's a real person, therefore it's a real event. Just because her name is not given doesn't mean that it was not a true story. It just means that her name is not what's important. The story is what is important. The truth that's conveyed is what is important, not the individual as far as the truth goes. Now, the individual is important in the eyes of God and in the sight of God, but not as it relates to whether this story is true or not. It's about a certain woman, the Bible says. So it's a real person with a real event, just like in Luke 16, that rich man and that certain beggar named Lazarus. In Galatians chapter 3, the Bible tells us why the name is probably not given. In Galatians, 3, Galatians 6, verses 3 and 4, it says, For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. You see, what is important here is the fact that this truth is conveyed. It's not who this woman is. So she's just told, or we're just told, that it's a certain woman. A certain woman. Look at another point here in the first verse of 2 Kings chapter 4. She goes on and talks about her husband. She says, Thy servant, my husband, is dead. Thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord. She reverenced her husband. She says, thy servant did fear the Lord. She had reverence for her husband. In Ephesians chapter 5, the husband is told to love his wife on three different occasions. The wife is told to reverence her husband. The wife is told to be in submission to her husband. The wife is told some things that she needs to obey. The husband first showing his love for his wife is probably the key to the whole passage. But here you've got a woman that obviously reverenced her husband because when she talked about him after his death, she said that he feared the Lord. That's a tremendous testimony for each of us to have. We hope, and I hope that when I die, if I die before the Lord's coming, that one thing my wife, if she remains after me, that she'll say, he loved the Lord. He served the Lord. He put the Lord first. I hope that'll be my epitaph. Look at another point in the first one. She seeks out the Lord. She goes to Elisha and she says, Thy servant, my husband, is dead. Now knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord and the creditors come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. She knew where to seek help. She goes to the man of God and she says, I need your help. And in fact, what she was doing was asking for help from God. She knew that she had to depend upon God. She had seen that her husband and their family together had depended upon God the days of his life. Now he was dead. What does she do? By the example that he set in his life, she knows that she needs to seek out the man of God and let him know the burdens that are upon her heart. Too many times we don't seek out the person that can solve our problems. It is the Lord. We don't go to Him and say, Lord, can you help me? Lord, will you help me? The Lord knows our problems. The Lord knows our needs. The Lord knows our situations. 
But we don't go to Him and seek out His advice and His guidance. You might look at this and see Elisha, but you ought to see your pastor too. We should go to the pastor and say, hey, I need your help. I need you to pray about this situation. I need your guidance on this. Too many times we don't do that. We just think, well, you know, he won't understand or, oh, he doesn't have the time. Or We need to look at the biblical example and realize that's what a pastor's for, is to go to him and talk to him about the needs that we have and the things that are uh, dear to us and the things that are on our heart. Too many people, what they do is they get all mad and they quit church or they go to gossiping and talking about one another and to one another. and Oh, it's all in the name of prayer, but many times it's not. We need to do what this example shows and go to somebody that has the wisdom given to them from God like Elisha had. Elisha had the wisdom to know what to say to this widow woman to help her in her particular need at a particular time. We've got to realize God doesn't leave us without hope and without someone and something to turn to. Look at the second verse. And Elisha said unto her, What shall I do for thee? Tell me, what hast thou in the house? And she said, Thine handmaid hath not anything in the house, save a pot of oil. You know, he says, What shall I do for thee? Tell me, what hast thou in the house? He asks her two questions. If you think about this from God's perspective, do you think God has to ask us a question? Like he asked Adam, he says, Where art thou, Adam? Don't you think God knew where Adam was? But the question wasn't for God. The question was for Adam. It was almost like saying to Adam, Adam, where are you spiritually? You see, Adam had just sinned. Where was Adam spiritually? He was in a backslidden state. You know, sometimes people come up and they say things to you. And, you know, sometimes I say things and I think back, why in the world did I say that? But, you know, if we would think about things that are said to us and questions that are asked of us, Maybe sometimes it's God leading that person to ask the right question to get us to look at ourselves and to realize where we are spiritually. You know, you need to always be considering where you are spiritually. Always looking at yourself and saying, God, am I right with you spiritually? God, am I where I am supposed to be spiritually? You know, if we would take a, a census or an inventory of where we are spiritually, you know what most of us would find out? We're not where we ought to be. Do we pray like we should? Do we witness like we should? Do we live the life that God would have us to live? Take a spiritual inventory. Take it daily. At least take it weekly or monthly. At least annually. You know, the world says you ought to make New Year's resolutions. I don't know about New Year's resolutions, but we ought to make some spiritual resolutions. We ought to look at our inventory and say, this is what God wants me to be. This is what I am. And then we've got to figure out a way to get from where we are to where we ought to be. The only way to do that is to look at your inventory and say, you know, this is the spiritual nature God would have me to have. This is the way God would have me to live. Those questions in this story were not for Elisha to find out the answer. He, he already knew what the situation was. He had already had the revelation from God what was going to happen. These questions were not for God's benefit, but for the individual that the question was being asked of. Where are you spiritually? That's not a question that God needs the answer to. He already knows the answer. That is a question that is asked of each of us so that we evaluate our lives and determine to get closer to God. Determine 
to do more for God. Determined to look at our lives and realize that God always wants us going forward, never stagnant or going back. If we're stagnant, we're going back because there's no standing still with God. We've always got to be moving forward. Ask yourself that question tonight. When you lay your head upon the pillow, ask yourself, what am I doing spiritually that I could be doing more of or better of? How can I look at my life and realize that I need to be closer to God? How are you spiritually in your Bible reading? Have you ever read through the Bible from cover to cover? If the answer to that question is no, you're missing a wonderful blessing. I read my Bible from cover to cover, and you want to know what I got? I didn't get much first time I read through. I remember Dave would read the Bible, and just the way he would enunciate the words, I'd say, "What? how come when I read it, it doesn't sound like that? Because I needed to read my Bible from cover to cover. I read the Bible cover to cover, and I read it again. The second time I went through that Bible, it astounded me, the difference. And then I went out on visitation one night and I remember we went to visit this couple and we started talking and I read the Bible to them. I must have read a whole chapter to them. And they said, boy, that Bible sounds so different when you read it. Because they were trying to tell me King James Bible is hard to understand. I said, listen to this, see if you can understand it. And I read it to them. They said, it doesn't sound like that when I read it. You know why? They hadn't read the Bible cover to cover. You got a problem understanding the Bible? Read it cover to cover. Somebody told me. Somebody told me you need to write, read the Bible all the way through. And don't just stop once. I mean, read it over and over and over. Blessed is he that readeth. Yes, the book of the Revelation, but the whole Bible from Genesis through Revelation also. So these questions that are in the Bible. They're not for God's benefit. They're for ours. Look what he says. He says, tell me, what hast thou in the house? Hold your place here and look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Elisha asked this woman, she says, what hast thou in thy house? She's getting ready to receive a blessing from God. 1 Corinthians 4, 7. The Bible says, for who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now, if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received it? You see, he said to her, what do you have in the house? In other words, he wanted, God wanted to use what she had in the house to bless her. You know what God wants to use to bless us? What we've got. We're always thinking it's something over there. You know what the world teaches? It's that new gadget you got to buy in order to, you know, to be satisfied in life. They're always gadgets, gadgets. You got to have another gadget. You know what God says? God says, it's not all the gadgets out there. It's not all the new things out there. But what do you have in your house? You know what our, bo- you know what our body's called? It's the house of the Lord. This is, our, this is God's house right here. What do you have in your house? That's what God is asking you right now. What do you have in your house? Do you have faith in your house? Do you have the Word of God hidden in your heart in your house? What do you have in your house? You see, God wants to use what's within us to bless us outwardly. But the problem is, if we fill up our house with junk and gadgets, then when He asks us what's in our house, there's nothing in there if it's empty. 
If you don't have the Spirit of God, if you don't have Jesus Christ living in your house, you've got an empty house. God can't bless you if you don't have Christ. And then if you do have Christ, but you aren't spiritually feeding the Spirit, you know, walking after the Spirit and all those things, if you're spiritually feeding the flesh, you're building up the outside instead of what's inside. Then when He asks you what's in your house, you can look at Him and say, there's nothing in my house. You see, he wants, to, he wants to bless us with what's in our house. He says, what do you have in the house? You know what she says? She says, nothing. And she said, thine handmaid hath not anything in the house, save a pot of oil. I mean, if God came to you and said, what do you have in your house? You look at him and say, God, I don't have anything. What are you saying? God hadn't blessed? When God asked you, what do you have in your house? I mean, your physical house. You say, oh, I don't have anything. What do you mean? You mean God hadn't been good to you? You mean God hadn't taken care of you? What do you mean you don't have anything in the house? When God asked the question. See, she says, I don't have anything. Well, you know, except for a pot of oil over there. You know what God said? Well, God said, I'll use that. What do I have in the house? Nothing. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 27 says this. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in His presence. You want to know what God wants to use in your life to bless you? Nothing. Nothing in your eyes. Nothing in my eyes. In other words, until we look at ourselves as nothing, He isn't going to use us until we look at ourselves that way. We have to realize that the only reason that you will be used of God is if you realize that God wants to use the weak things and the things that are nothing to show how He works His miracles through us. But too many times, the reason many people aren't used by God is because, oh, they look up and they get their head, their head in the clouds and they think, well, I'm something. No, until you realize you're nothing, He can't use you. You go through the whole Old Testament, that's what you see. You know why David was used of God so greatly? Because he realized he was nothing. You know why Solomon was great in the eyes of God? Because he realized he was nothing. He told him at the very beginning, he says, how can I but a child lead this so great a people? You see, he realized that he was nothing. And that's what God wants to use. God wants to use the nothings in order to bless us so that we know we have to give him the glory. The last time I preached on faith in the church was in January of last year. One of the first messages I preached here. And I told a bunch of stories about my car breaking down. And the fact that the Lord had taken care of me. And that's just the way God deals with me. I always had this thing that, Lord, just don't, just, Lord, you can do anything in my life, but don't let me break down out of town. So you know what God does to me? God says, well, I want you to break down. I want you to break down. So we went to Pensacola last week. Went down there. I had some business with a, with a new client that needed some help. And I went down there on Friday. I said, well, hon, why don't you come with me? Why don't you come with me and we'll just make a day of it and, you know, maybe stay overnight and we'll come back on Saturday. So we pack all up. You know, we just leave out Friday morning. And we get down there and, and I said, well, let's take the kids to the beach so they can see the waves and, you know, all this stuff. And, you know, we've never taken them. And I said, well, let's, let's do that. So we stop off at this hotel. We're going to get directions. 
right downtown Pensacola. So I pull in there and I stop and I, you know, I get directions and you know, all these people coming in. And I'm waiting in line. They give us the map and they tell us how to get there. And I go out there and, you know, thing won't start. Just, you know, it won't start. I'm, I'm like, oh, no, you've got to be kidding. This isn't even my van. We're just thinking about buying this one. I've broken down in my cars. I broke down in Judy's cars. And, you know, that's why I'm preaching on faith tonight. We're getting ready to go on a trip. But I never break down when i got a load full of kids. <laughs> so, so we're down there, and, uh, and, the, and the thing won't start. Well, you know, you, know, you have a tendency you just say, well, you know, what in the world is going on? So we just went inside, and, you know, I'm waiting there, and, and I hear the lady say, we don't have any more room. She tells us they, the one, people, one person came, and they gave her a room, and then the next couple right in front of us, because we said, well, we'll have to check in or something. And she says, we have no more room. So I looked back at Judy, and I said, they don't have any more room. So we just walked out. And before we did, we'd asked them about where to eat, because I said, well, maybe the thing will cool off. We'll be able to start it. So she tells us about this place to go, this, this Greek restaurant. So we went down to this Greek restaurant, and we're in there, and, and I don't know what this lady was, but boy, she was, she was just over at our table. She owned the place. She was over at our table the whole time. I mean, she spent at least 25 minutes with us out of the whole time we were in there. And she just friendly as can be. She says, well, you, if you get stuck here, you can use my car. I'm looking at her going, what in the world? You know. But anyway, she just kept saying, you can use my car, use my car, use my car. So anyway, we said, well, how about somebody can fix the car? She says, well, it's this place down here. Uh, you know, at the Amoco station, and you know we can, you know, you can call them and just tell them my name, and they'll take care of you. I thought, yeah, they'll take care of me, all right. You know, but she was right. So we ended up going back to the back to the van and uh, walk in there and, and try to start thinking it's not going to start. And, you know, it's getting a little bit later, and I said, well, you know, we well, actually, her sister comes into the restaurant. And she says, here, drive these two back up to the uh, to the Days Inn up there. A couple blocks up, and it's all uphill. So she drives us back up there and drops us off. But, but we got to hear the story before. She's, she's Lutheran. So here we are, and I said, she started talking about all, helping all these people, and making all these meals for the poor. And I looked at her, and I thought, well, she's got to be a saved woman. So I looked at her, and I said, are you saved? She looks back at me, and she says, well, if you mean born again, no. I said, well, <clears throat> yeah. And then she says, I don't believe God ever leaves you. And I said, well, I thought, well, here's a point we can both agree on. I said, I don't believe God ever leaves you either. You know, we're sitting in the restaurant. I mean, she's starting to get a little feisty. Well, her sister didn't hear any of this. So she comes up and she asked her to take us up the street. I bet her sister wanted to say, ain't no way. But she went ahead and took us up there and dropped us off. So we go back in and I said, well, we're broken down out here and we got no place to stay. Can we stay here? So she says, well, you know, we don't have any more rooms. I said, well, I heard you say that. She says, well, there is one room. doesn't have any air conditioning. So we went up there, and, and, and they're working on it. And she wasn't going to give me that room anyway. I said, she says, well, you're, there's no air conditioning. I said, yeah, it is a bit stuffy in here. I mean, it was hot as can be. So we walked back out, and she says, I'll get you a room. She says, well, but the kids, you know, there's only one bed in there. I said, oh, the kids got sleeping bags. They love to sleep on the floor. So anyway, she goes, and she gets us a room. And, you know, the charge was like $55, $60. You know, Pensacola in the middle of summer. She charged me $35. $35 for a night in a hotel in Pensacola. So she charged me $35. Next, I said, well, we'll just wait for the next day to get the tow, the tow truck. Because, you know, I thought, well, maybe it'll start. You know, I'm, I'm, having, I'm trying to have faith. 
I'm saying God's going to make this thing start next morning. I went out there, it doesn't start. So we called the company. They came and towed it. And I talked to the guy and he says, you know, 40 bucks to tow it. I said, that's fine. So, you know, we were out there and he tows the thing. He ends up towing it and then he says, well, I'm not going to be able to get to it till you know, later tonight. I said, we're in a hotel. We really don't want to live here. And he says, you know, I said it in, in a funny way. He says, well, yeah, okay, well, I'll, I'll tell the guy. So he calls us at 1030. Says, I got good news. It's not that expensive. I got bad news. I can't get the part till Tuesday. And it's Saturday morning. I went, oh, no. So we called some friends in Pensacola. And anyway, they said they'd come pick us up at, at 3 o'clock and we could stay with them. And long story short, this is what happened. They fixed the thing and he gave me a price of 140 He only charged us 30 for towing and only charged a total of $94 with the towing. So I get the van back here and I tell the guy that owns the van, I said, look, I said, I don't think we want to buy the van. We broke down the Pensacola and the whole story. He says, look, he says, I'll reimburse you. So he's going to reimburse me the $94 it cost us to break down. He says, so then it only cost us $35 to stay down there for four days. It was a nice vacation. You know what? I got to, you know. <laughs> so I, the story is, my faith wasn't grand. My faith was, God, you've got to fix the van on Saturday morning. That was my faith. God didn't do what I expected. God did something other than what I expected. I'll tell you one other story. So when we were down there, this Lutheran lady told us about this, um, this Greek day where they were having their, their kids for vacation Bible school the final week. And they were going to kick it off on Saturday with a, with a free rides and all this stuff that you can go to. So we got out Saturday morning before our friends going to come pick us up after we found out we were stuck there for a few days. Walked down the street and we happened to the Lutheran church. And there it was. They, you had to fill out this thing for the kids and they gave you 20 free tickets and the kids got to do all the rides until we shut the place down. Kids got to do it for free. So, I mean, my faith's not great. I expected God to fix the car. I mean, my faith was, God, you've got to fix the car by Saturday because I really need to get back. But God's plan was, no, you really need to stay down there and spend some time with your family. Because, I mean, we spent close quarters for the next few days and, you know, that was it. You know, we didn't... We had a vehicle then because the friend that we have down there, they, they let us use their vehicle. God certainly does take care of you. And He doesn't do it the way you expect Him to do it. He doesn't do it the way you want Him to do it. He does it the way He wants to do it. And that's the way it is with this lady right here. She says, I don't have anything but a pot of oil. The next point I was going to make was God rarely solves our problems the way we expect. Next point, God wants us to know whom the glory belongs to. You see... I can't take glory for the situation that happened in Pensacola. The only glory I could take was there was no chance I was going to fix the van. You know, I mean, I knew that much. But God took care of us. I have to look to God and say, you know, thank you, Lord, for what you did. You did an amazing thing. Oh, while we were there. Kids didn't get to go to the beach. Remember that. Now, this is Friday night now. I just said, well, the kids aren't going to get to go to see the beach. So... We're sitting there, and the guy comes up, and he starts telling us about the kids. He says, well, I hope they're not in your way, all these kids from Texas. I said, no. I said, no. We really brought them down to see the beach, but they're not going to get to see the beach because we're broke. He says, oh, well, a few of us adults are going to leave the kids here with these two, and we're going to the beach. You want to come with us? So the kids got to see the beach. Why? First Baptist in Texas took us in their van. <laughs> hey, you know, and in a way I expected it to happen, but God takes care of us. God takes care of us. Look at verse 3. Then he said, Go, 
Borrow the vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, even empty vessels. Borrow not a few. The first word there you see is go, go. God gives the green light. God tells you when to go. God tells you what to do. God tells you how to do it. But God's the one that gives the green light. He's the one that says go. I look at the Brailleys over here. You know what God said? God said to them, go. I look at the Bowmans. You know what God said to the Bowmans? Go. I think of the Mills. You know what God said? Go. The Mongers, go. You want to know what He says to all of us? Even if it's staying in Millbrook, Alabama on Thursday night visitation? Go. Saturday morning for you youth and whoever else can help with the youth, you know what God says? Go. That's what He says. He says, go. He says, borrow the vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, even empty vessels, borrow not a few. Hey, you know what? God doesn't explain what He's getting ready to use these for. I don't know about you, but in the first part of my Christian walk, if God told me to do something, I'd sit there and I'd say, now wait a minute, God, you've got to explain to me what your direction is and what you're getting ready to do. You say, you told Him that? Well, I acted that way. I mean, God say, do something. I'd say, oh, I don't know if I can do that, God. That seems like a like a, a hefty step to take. I think about when I quit my job last January. You know, I didn't have things planned and set up. I'm a planner. You know, I like to have things where I know what's going on. I know what the future looks like. I like to plan it out and put it all down. I keep all my checks on a computer and every bit of cash we spend goes to the computer. I know where every dime goes that I spend. You know what God told me to do? God told me to quit my job last January. He didn't tell me that I'd be back here, I'd be working. He didn't tell me all that. You know what He told me? He says, go, quit your job and do this. Now, I don't suggest it for everybody unless God tells you to do it. But God told me to do I knew it beyond any shadow of a doubt that that's what God wanted to do. You know what my natural tendency was? But He dealt with me for months about it. My natural tendency was, well, Lord, you've you got to tell me what you're getting ready to do because I really don't feel like you know, living by faith. Can you imagine being a missionary? Roger Bowen quit the railroad. Quit the railroad. That's a good job. He quit the railroad and he's in Mexico. You know what that takes? That takes a commitment. That takes a commitment. Ricky Brantley, he takes a commitment. One, it takes a commitment. When God says go, you can't look at him and say, well, God, you've got to do all these things first and then I'll go. No, God says you go and then I'll do all these things for you. When God breaks me down and he breaks me down often out of town, you know, just every time we go other than maybe taking youth to the wilds or something. <laughs> My... It's a funny thing, my wife said last night, we're driving three vans, three drivers, and she's, you know, she, she wants to bring all this stuff. She says, well, what if we break down? I said, well, hon, what do you want me to tell you? You know, what do you say when your wife asks you with three drivers and three vans, what if we break down? Well, if we had two drivers and two vans, what if we broke down? Three drivers, three vans, we got, a, we got a possibility of packing them in two, as long as the right one breaks down, which has got to be mine. What do you say? Wait, God, I want to see the whole picture. You can't say that. You can't tell God, hey, I want to see the whole picture before I do this thing. I want to see where you're going first, God. I got to know. Yeah, we're human. And yeah, we want to know. But that isn't the way God works. God expects us to live by faith. The Bible says that which is not a faith is sin. We can't please God without faith. 
and I'm standing up here as a person that lacks more faith than anybody out there. That's why God has to deal with me about it so much. It isn't because, hey, I'm some kind of spiritual giant with the greatest faith you've ever seen. No, it's because I'm hard-headed and stupid. And God has to keep doing the same lesson over and over and over. God ain't going to work things out the way we want. God's going to work them out in His plan, His way. And if we allow Him to do it and give Him glory for doing it, it's an amazing thing what God can do with human beings. It's all to show His glory. He says in verse 4, after He tells her to go out and borrow vessels, He says, When thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons, and shalt pour out into all those vessels, and thou shalt set aside that which is full. You see, he told her, he says, go shut the door. Why did he say shut the door? Because she's going to be blessed in secret. When she opens the door, it becomes evident what the blessings of God are in her life. That's why the Bible tells you to go to your prayer closet and pray to God in, in, in your prayer closet. You see, everybody wants to pray in public or wants to be seen of men. But you want to know where real faith begins? It begins where people don't see it and don't know about it. It begins whenever, whenever you live a life in such a way that it becomes evident outwardly, but people don't necessarily know what's going on inwardly. You close the door and you and God get alone. You get down on your knees and you pray to God and you say, God, I need to know what you want me to do. I need strength. I need peace. I need grace. My wife all the time, she says mercy. You know, we get, we get so busy. She just says mercy. I think I read in, in uh, Sue Reese wrote something recently. Was that mercy that she said? My wife does that all the time. And he never really think about it until I read Sue Reese's letter. And she said she said mercy. And, you know, basically it wasn't a prayer. She didn't think of it as a prayer. But that's what it became. She received mercy, she felt, that day, that week. But my wife does that all the time. Mercy. You want mercy? Go to God and pray to Him in your prayer closet. And then when you come out, it will be evident in your life what God has done. God isn't going to do everything outwardly until He does the things inwardly. As He changes us inwardly, it becomes outward, and then it becomes evident. But not until we're changed truly within. That's where the key is. You see, the world tells you to put on an outward appearance. The world says, clean yourself up and look good. God says, clean yourself within, and He'll take care of the outward appearance. She's told to go and pour out in all the vessels. She's told exactly what to do. She's told when you come in, you shut the door with your sons there. You pour out in all those vessels and thou shalt set aside that which is full. Can you imagine her thinking, wait a minute, I've got a pot of oil over here. And you're telling me to go and get a bunch of vessels and fill those vessels up. Why don't I get one just the same size and pour it in there? You're telling me to get a bunch of vessels. I know how much oil's in there because I can see the vessel. 
I can see how big it is and how much it contains. Why are you telling me to go out and get a bunch of vessels? Because God said to do it. You ever do that with your children? But why? I heard my wife today. And it says, why? They don't say why. They say, why? Why? Judy says, you're getting into a bad habit, Heather. Why? Hey, you know, that's what we are with God. Why? You know, we look up at God and God says, why? Can you imagine Him up there every time? Why? God looks down and says, even if, well, if, he, if He feels like we do when our kids do it to us, think about it. You know, you just want to go over there and say, I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to show you why. God isn't any different from us sometimes. He goes through the same thing with us. We're His children. But you know, we're no better than our kids. We look at God and we want to say, why? We don't need to do that. She was told to go out and get the vessels. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. The Bible says, but refuse profane and old wives' fables and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. You know what godliness is? Godliness is doing what God tells you to do without asking Him why. You just do it. You just do what God tells you to do. Godliness is profitable and we're to exercise ourselves in living godly. Go back to 2 Kings. 2 Kings, we're in verse 5. So she went from him and shut the door upon her and upon her sons who brought the vessels to her and she poured out. She poured out. Notice the peculiar wording. You remember that when uh, Abraham was told, uh, Abraham told Isaac when he asked about the lamb, he said God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. God will provide himself a lamb. The peculiar wording, two meanings to it. God's not only going to provide a lamb now, but God will provide himself a lamb. In other words, Jesus Christ, it was, it was a reference to Jesus Christ. Well, here the Bible says, and she poured out. What did she pour out? She poured out the oil, right? But see, that's just looking at it physically with your physical eyes. Yes, she poured out the oil, but if you look at it with spiritual eyes, you want to know what she poured out? She poured out the blessings of God. She went from one vessel to many vessels and multiplied what she had. She poured out the blessings of God based upon her faith. You say, how was it based upon her faith? Well, we'll see in a minute. However many vessels she collected was how much she poured out into them. If she collected ten vessels, she filled up ten. If she collected twenty, she filled up twenty. You want to know what it took for her to collect more vessels? Was faith. She had to believe that God was going to do something. And she had to do what Elisha told her to do in order to go and tell her sons to go out and collect the vessels. You can hear her sons now coming in and saying, Mom, I'm tired. I've already collected five vessels. Why are we getting these vessels? I don't understand. You know, and giving her mom a hard time. And her mom's got to stand firm and say, The man of God told me to go collect vessels. Get yourself out there. Collect the vessels and get them in here. But she had to do that by faith. Hey, nobody wants to look stupid in front of their children. 
She didn't want to go and collect all these vessels and have them all sitting here. And then what? She doesn't even know what's going to happen. But she's told to go collect the vessels. What's she supposed to do? Collect the vessels. Sometimes the simplest instructions are the hardest to follow. I don't have a problem with difficult instructions sometimes. You know what give me a problem sometimes? The simple instructions. You know what give our kids problems? The simple instructions. The simple ones. She was told to go collect vessels. She needed to go collect vessels. She needed to collect as many as she could collect. Why? Because based on her faith, that's how much she was going to be blessed. Verse 6, And it came to pass when the vessels were full, that she said unto her son, Bring me yet a vessel. And he said unto her, There is not a vessel more, and the oil stayed. You know what limited the blessings? The number of vessels they collected. That's what limited it. Do you know what limit the blessings in our lives? Our faith. After all the things that I've gone through in my travels and breaking down, I still don't have the faith I need. I still, you know, I was reading about George Mueller about the fog and he needed to make a meeting and he'd been preaching for 57 years and never missed a meeting. And the man in the ship said, well, um, there's fog out there. We, we're not going to be able to make it. He says, yes, we'll let's go down into the, into the engine room. We'll pray down. He says, well, there's no reason to go down there. But he went down there and George Mueller prayed. And the man was getting ready to pray. He says, you don't need to pray. George Mueller believed by faith he was going to be taken care of. That man didn't need to pray. What was he going to pray? Was he going to pray through faith? Was he going to pray with faith? God didn't want to hear his prayer if it wasn't believing in what he was saying. The man was just going to go through the motions. You know what many of us do when we pray? We just go through the motions. Do you really believe God wants to bless you? Or have you been so convinced by the world and your lack of faithfulness that you just give up on God? Do you pray with belief? Do you believe when you pray? See, I can say that to you because I know many times I don't. Many times I don't. Hey, when the car wasn't starting Saturday morning and I had to get the thing towed, my faith, you know, it, it, it was up here on Friday when we first broke down. You know, I was, I was, well, God always takes care of us. And He didn't do it the way I thought He was going to do it. It didn't start when we came back from dinner and the hotel room. And we got the hotel room. It went up a little bit. Got up Saturday morning. It didn't start. Called the tow company. Forty bucks. Can't get to it today. It's been working the way I'm thinking it's going to work. It's going to cost me a bunch of money. God, you know, I, it's one thing it doesn't need. It doesn't need to cost me money. God says, okay, it won't. But it won't in my time. In my time. You see, I paid the bill. The money didn't fly in and God took care of it that way. That's the way I expected it to happen if God was going to do it my way. You know, He's going to put wings on it and have it fly in. And you know, I'd have found a hundred bucks underneath the, the, the bed or something. I mean, that's the way we want it. We want it our way. That isn't the way God works, though. God says, go get the vessels. And then I'll tell you what to do with the vessels. Go get the vessels, and I'm going to show you what I'm going to do. No, go get the vessels. Get the vessels. And then we go out there. You know what we do? We go out there moaning. All oh, these vessels are so heavy. And, you know, we start bringing them back, complaining the whole time. And then, and then you know, then we get to the end of the thing. We look back, and you know what we always... You know, if we're smart, we feel pretty bad about the way that we've behaved. We feel pretty bad about our lack of faith and our lack of trust in God. At least we should. 
I know I do. I know when I look the thing through. and You know, I, faith is something that God cultivates. Oh, by the way, the story of George Mueller, in case you didn't hear it, they came up and the fog lifted and he made it to his meeting on time. George Mueller was a man of faith, a man of prayer, a man that believed God. But God didn't do it just the way George Mueller had it done. George Mueller just knew that if God wanted him there in that meeting and he knew God wanted him there and God wanted him to speak and, you know, he knew those things. He knew God was going to provide the means. So why not go down there in the engine room and pray for the fog to lift? Because if God's going to get him there, it's just a matter of George Mueller believing God is going to do it. Not, hey, I've got to work the whole thing out. He says, go get the vessels. Look at verse 7. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil and pay thy debt, and live thou and thy children of the rest. First lesson here. She seeks out further guidance from God. Too many times we would get all the oil and all the vessels, and we'd say, Oh, I know what God wants me to do. God wants me to go out and give them all away to the poor or something. No. You go back and you seek further guidance from God. Don't presume upon God. She didn't presume upon God. She got further guidance from God. She comes to know the will of God. Peace. Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. God, again, gives the green light, the word go. Notice her first responsibility is to her testimony, though. He says, go, sell the oil, and pay thy debt. He doesn't say, go, sell the oil, live on the rest, and then if you have enough left, pay the debt. He says, go, sell the oil, pay thy debt, and live thou and thy children of the rest. Testimony came first and foremost. The last thing, she's blessed exceeding abundantly above all that she could ask or think. I look back in my life and I look at when God took care of me. God did not take care of me the way I thought He'd take care of me many times. But it has always been exceeding abundantly above all that I could ask or think. She, you know all she wanted to do, if you go back and you read the beginning of the story, all she wanted to do was to be able to keep her children and pay the debtors so they didn't take her children. You know what she got? She got exceeding abundantly above all that she could ask or think. Because she not only got the debt paid, but she also had enough to live on and her sons to live on. That's the God we serve. The God we serve isn't limited by our thinking and by what we ask. God wants to do even more for us than what we expect Him to do. We limit Him. Let me close by looking at Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews 4. Hebrews chapter 4. Look at verse 2. The Bible says, For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that the word of God did not profit these people because it was not mixed with faith in them that heard it. You know, you know what the Word of God will do in your life? If you have faith and the Word of God is mixed with faith when it goes out, 
it'll profit you. If you have no faith, looking at it two ways, number one, if you're not in the faith, meaning you're not saved, it won't profit you. And then if you don't have personal living faith, when the Word of God goes out, it's not going to profit you. That's what the Word of God says. It says, when the Word went out, it did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Pray for us as we take the trip tomorrow. Pray that the young people will have a great blessing up there and um, we'll get up there safely and on time. If you are interested in these or similar materials, you can contact us at www.mccowanmills.com. That is M-C-C-O-W-E-N-M-I-L-L-S dot com or through the mail at P.O. Box 1611, Millbrook, Alabama 36054 or by calling 334-285-6650. Orders can be placed online or by calling toll-free at 1-866-344-1611.